Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Well, good evening. I'd like to welcome you to the Stop Child Abuse Now talk radio show sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Today is Tuesday, December 27, 2022. My name is Penelope Bennett, and I am from Sarasota, Florida. I am an adult survivor of child abuse, and with me on my host team this evening is uh, my co-host, a NASCA family member, Annie Marcus from California, and we are really excited to uh, welcome you this evening to our show tonight. The type of show we have is called a survivor professional um, focused show. Um, It uses an open mic forum, and we feature a survivor professional co-host who will field a topic um, that we have uh, discussed that is relevant to NASA's mission. So I'll tell you a little bit more about our survivor professional, Pastor Deborah Schleich, in a moment. Um, And we are very um, grateful to have her as an NASA family member and as our survivor professional on these shows um, about once a month. Uh, but before uh, we tell you a little bit more about Pastor Deborah, we want to talk about NASCA's mission because, as you know, NASCA is all about child abuse trauma, prevention, intervention, and recovery. If you'd like to join us uh, this evening on our show, it is an open mic format. You are welcome to call in and be a member of the panel. There is no experience necessary. We invite anyone who is interested to come on uh, the way to participate tonight is simply to dial the following number, area code 646-595-2118. Again, that number is area code 646-595-2118. And my co-host, Annie, will greet you on our back line and welcome you into the show. Uh, and you'll have an opportunity to um, ask a question um, or pose a uh, a question or a comment uh, regarding the subject matter to Pastor Deborah. Um, so please call in. We we encourage you um, to participate in the show. It makes for a uh, uh, a really good show, um, and it fields topics brought up by you specifically. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about NASA's mission because we have a single purpose at NASA: is to address issues related to childhood sexual abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, 
emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with two goals. The first, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, abbreviated CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone, and the second goal of offering hope and healing through so many different paths, such as these shows, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested and the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. So please join us in our mission by becoming a panel member on the show tonight. The number to call in is area code 646-595-2118. So you may be asking yourself if this is the first time you've listened to a survivor professional open mic uh, type show. Um, I will go into some more detail. So we feature a survivor professional co-host who fields topics uh, brought to the episode by you, the listener. And our special guest and co-host tonight is Pastor Deborah Spike. And a little bit about Pastor Deborah. She grew up all over the world in a military family where her mother was mentally ill. And uh, Pastor Deborah is now a survivor professional. She lives in Pensacola, Florida. She's trained in ministry, mental health, working with substance abuse, and is a trauma-informed social worker, all in one. She wears many hats. She volunteers with many community organizations. And Pastor Deborah says she can minister by text, phone, Skype, in person, and however the Lord directs her 24-7. She teaches that humans have three parts of being of spirit, soul, and physical body, and believes that all three are important and that each one needs care. And, you know, as an aside, we look forward to Pastor Deborah being an active member of the NASCA family for a very long time. So on these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts, survivor professionals who will assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our call participants. The trauma-informed perspectives of survivor professionals will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality that spring from questions and topics brought to us by our listeners. Everyone's invited to engage on tonight's show. So without further ado, again, we encourage you to call in, area code 646. 595-2118. I'm going to unmute Pastor Deborah's line. And Pastor Deborah, just welcome to the show. And I know that we talked about um, a topic this evening of of discussing healing modalities and what has worked um, as as, uh, survivors of child, uh, adults who have the child abuse. So I'm going to turn it over to you to kick off our discussion. And thank you for being with us. Well, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Made it through that storm, you know, that cold stuff. Uh, one of the things I've been lately watching, these historical Chinese dramas, and uh, what they show is that when a child is orphaned, has trauma of any kind, a lot of violence in their life in these movies, they grow up with some very horrible emotional problems. A lot of hate, revenge, anger, jealousy, and um, cause a lot of problems for a lot of other people. And it was, huh, then there would be something in there. They would find somebody that loved them. And um, that all that ick that was there from dissipated, 
and they changed and they became loving people and the memories sort of went away. So my question to people is, when you've been abused as a child, does anybody know exactly what needs to be healed? That would be number one question. Number two is, does anybody have any kind of a surety from any kind of treatment modality that what they need healing from or for can be done? As we know, if you had cancer, and they have to determine what kind of cancer you have and where is the cancer and and how far along it is. And so they do a lot of testing to find that out, and then they have uh, done a lot of treatment, whether it's chemo or if it's radiation or if it's surgery and more chemo. And a lot of people, you know, they um, come out and they are pretty much things are taken care of. Other people it doesn't. But they know the doctors have a protocol for if we know that you have this problem, this is the direction. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. And they stay with you for years and years and years. But in uh, adult survivors of sexual abuse, I know telling your story is very important, okay? And it may be like pulls the scab off of something, and it can freely uh, breathe and uh, that kind of thing. But then what happens? Where does a a survivor, what what direction do they go in? Uh, Do they go the spiritual route? Do they go the mental health route? If they get in the mental health route, do they have a plan? Do their therapist? So as a person who's had childhood sexual abuse, I don't know if when they are um, going through the system of foster care or reunification with their family members, uh, if there's uh, anybody says, look, oh, you've had this. Here's a treatment plan. Here's a modality. Here's a way. You're going to have some memory issues. You're going to have some uh, uh, trigger issues. Probably going to have some other health issues. Uh, and, and we need to take on each one of those areas. And we have found some professional, I would think, that to work and bring healing to this area of you, we need to follow this plan of treatment. So I wanted to just bring it up to see what people thought, if they kind of can help other people say, yeah, hey, 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 I went and got hypnotized. And I had a lot of unconscious stuff going on, and a lot of those memories have disappeared. And I don't have them anymore. And another person may have said, hey, I did this. Uh, I did a six weeks cleansing or something and I don't get triggered anymore when a word comes up or something and so it when you have issues you need something out there to go these are the different possibilities so I just wanted to bring that topic up to see if anybody had any clear-cut sort of treatment plans that they know works on triggers uh, the emotional abuse the memories uh, the feelings, the emotions, 
the anger, the unforgiveness, what works? So you can say healing is possible if you go in this route using this method. So that was the topic. Great, thank you. Um, Andy, did you want to did you want to start? Um, I can comment on on a lot of what uh, the pastor was saying. I was just writing down that I think the most helpful thing I did was to desensitize myself from the memories of childhood incest. And how did you? Do, how did you? Do? Annie, how did you do that? How did I do that? A, a lot yes. of ways. Number one was I found a group of peers who also suffered, and I went to meetings where they told their stories, and I told my story. And uh, it was just sharing. It was no cross-talking or anything like that. It was you just told your story, and that was it. And listening to other people's stories, I was able to start saying childhood incest. Yeah, I was able to start thinking about this. Yeah, this is the thing that happened. Okay, so you were person. So by telling your okay, so by telling your story, you were mm-hmm. able to discover some areas, okay, about your life that needed some kind of healing, recovery, just by telling yeah. your story. Okay, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And and along with talking about it, I wrote about it. I wrote all the time, not just journaling. I also created a piece, more than one piece of fiction about it. And I even got revenge in one piece of fiction I wrote. That was that was very healing. Um, I think by by writing about it every day, looking at it on paper. Oh, Annie, um, you're uh, you're breaking. Sorry, Annie, you're breaking up a little bit. I don't know if this is me, but we're having a hard time hearing you. Sorry. Uh, we're still um, having a hard time here. Well, I bet Annie will just get in a better cell area in a moment, and we can we'll be able to hear what she has to contribute. Um, Pastor Deborah, are you still there? Uh huh, I'm here. Okay, I think she just probably hit a bad cell area, so she'll come back on when she's she's able. Okay. Um, I'm, well, I'm when, to, I think. Go ahead. I was going to say I'm happy to share my own experience. Okay. Um, with what helps. And for me, it was a combination of um, I started um, for the first time in my life and in my mid-40s, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I had never, I had completely suppressed all of the uh, events um, that had happened in my, throughout my life. Um, And there were um, multiple forms of maltreatment. And they had been ongoing and ongoing, um, some repeated for decades and decades. Um, and I was advised through cognitive behavioral therapy to um, 
journal the first thing that came to mind, um, and I had never done any writing. So I did those two in combination and was able to bring up so many repressed memories. Um, they all came flooding out. Um, but um, what I was advised um, through my um, therapist to do then was um, to write letters to my, um, the members of my family of origin um, about these events. Um, and tell the truth of these events and document them. Um, so basically, you know, instead of suppressing the truth um, in a loving and, and caring way, um, in truthful way, write it, uh, write the truth and send it, which is what I did. Um, and that, mm-hmm. uh, I, wouldn't, I, don't, I don't think you're ever completely healed, um, but I would say that, that uh, the nightmares, the, the PTSD episodes, um, the... Um, being really governed by my triggers, all of that um, started to subside. Um, and I was able to overcome the majority of, of um, all of those things I've been experiencing for about 40 years. Um, and um, so that, that worked for me. Um, and I continue to do the work. Okay. So you did a... You did some writing. We had some cogn- What did you do in the cognitive? A lot of people don't know what cognitive behavioral therapy is. What is it? Basically, it's talk therapy. It's it's uh, trying a life a psychologist psychologist PhD. Um, he's also um, a uh, Lutheran priest. Um, he's okay. a pastor, and um, he uh, uh, it's talk therapy, and it was. Uh, you talked about before the show started about um, how genuine love, finding someone who cares for you. Um, and I wouldn't say that, you know, he loves me like a child. It was the first time in my life that um, a person did not minimize my truth, but listened with compassion. Um, okay. And um, and it was that listening with compassion um, and um, allowing me to really be authentic and, and, and be myself in, in bringing up these memories and, and talking about and verbalizing the truth and to be met with compassion um, through this process um, and to build that trust um, was really, that was the component that allowed me to keep bringing these unspeakable events to life and to to actually bring them out and be able to to make them um, you know not really govern my life but to to pass through and, and be a part of my past that I had reconciled okay that's wonderful that's- because people yeah yeah the reason is. Um, what you're saying is you've got to be able to speak about what happened to somebody mm-hmm. who will listen with compassion. Yes. And, okay, now, yeah. what does compassion mean? So, so, I mean, somebody goes, well, is it my therapist compassionate? What about my friend? What makes the difference? Okay. And how you can determine what is compassion? What are the what is it made up of? Well, for me, in my experience, 
to be met um, with someone who was someone in the not I wouldn't say a position of authority, but of course you know someone who is um, a, a professional that you seek out their professional guidance um, is um, and someone who is um, also a priest is someone who is in a role of um, someone who coaches, right? Someone who you, uh, there's a roles, right? Different roles. So um, for me, it was someone in this, in this, uh, in this life that was within a specific role that I found value in, um, mm-hmm. not not minimizing my experience, not diminishing um, the truth, not defying the truth, not um, objectifying uh, my experience um, and my recollection of my experience as being um, untruthful or unbelievable or um, minimizing it by uh, as heinous as the crimes committed against me were um, not to say that, it, you know, when I say minimize, well, it wasn't that big of a deal or you're making too much of it or um, we don't speak of that. Um, it was, um, when I say met with compassion, it was it was all of those things to be treated with humanity and with understanding and with care and concern, um, not to be called crazy, right? Um, not mm-hmm. to be invalidated. Um, all of those things, and not to be belittled, uh, not to be, um, my voice was valued in, in the fact that what I said was not questioned. I was believed. Okay. That's so finding somebody who would listen with compassion and um, is real important. And um, what we're learning is that a lot of bad things happen to us as kids and it messes us up and the child that we were supposed to grow up into and become got destroyed got delayed in growth and something else grew you know something else came in seeds got planted and different kinds of fruit and thoughts and attitudes developed and what we were taught in spirituality is we got to go dig up some roots here of some trees that have grown up from concepts, ideas, feelings. we got to pull those things out. And um, so it, spiritual work is a little bit different. Still need that compassionate, caring individual to listen to you than uh, mental health therapy. Uh, they listen to you and, you know, they try to guide the thoughts and deal with what comes up and things like that. But on the whole, do you would recommend uh, having the person get with a professional and do the journaling, right? Well, I would also mention that this is someone that I felt that I could trust. I think we have a genuine sense of intuition. Um, And, of course, trust 
you know, that builds over time. So the more, you know, the trust built, um, and I went the more basically it was through being met with compassion, um, I became more and more comfortable and able to release all of those memories okay. and all the repressed memories. So it okay. was a process. Once, all right. When you released your memories and your repressions, were you healed? Were they gone? Um, were they completely out of you, out of your system, well, never had them? Were they over with, done with? You, they're released? They're out? You've spoken about it? Are they gone? Or would you say you're healed now? And They, or let me before you answer. Or would that be like okay. if you had some poison in your body, and you've got to get the poison out before the healing can occur? Does that make sense? Um, yes, but I think that um, it was the fact that the the level of toxicity of the poison it was. A siphoning process. So um, okay. So by talking, telling your story, uh, getting out those repressed memories was like having poisonous toxins slowly be released out of your system. Yes. Is that okay? Yeah. And did you find a, a point that you finally got all the poison? That you could Did then start, you know, after you told your story and you talked and they listened and, and you were releasing the toxins, the poison, the memories, the mm-hmm. feelings. Was there a day when that the therapist or whatever could say, we believe we've got all the poison, okay, out of your system now. Now your system... Needs, uh, we'll say, you know, when you get the poison out, it's your system in the natural is still very weak, and it needs rest, and it needs good food, and you know, uh, sometimes the recovery, if you've had some kind of poison or something, and we'll say like maybe like an infection, it takes a while for your body to recover from that sort of attack. So yes. Would you okay? So would you say that by telling your story, writing it out, talking with someone, you were releasing toxins, poison that had been inside of your mind, maybe and that were connected to your biological body, that the then the body could start healing, and your mind could start healing because the poison's out. And you could then yes. start putting in good memories, and you could fill yes. up wherever that poison was, okay, with good things. Is yes. that what you started doing? Uh, yes. Okay. Reason I'm doing it slowly is when somebody listens to this, they go, "Huh, I've got to tell somebody my story. I need to write it to therapist. I need to get those." repressed memories out. I need to get those feelings out, cry them out, beat a pillow. I need to have somebody believe me. But that's not the healing yet. That's just the releasing of the poison, the toxins that are in the system. 
Then I've got to put in good nutrition, we'll call it, you know, water and chicken noodle soup, you know, and my body has to have rest, you know, because if you had any kind of virus or infection, okay, we get that cleared up with antibiotics, but now your body's been through war and different parts of it have been, you know, affected and it needs rest and it needs good nutrition and maybe have to slowly start exercising again and maybe eating again to put the good things back in to rebuild the body back up. So what were some of the good things, let's say, after you released your story, mm-hmm. got the poison out, the repressed memories, what were the what things did you do to say bring health back to the body, back to your memory, and rebuild a healthy system. So I had become, you know, um, I really truly um, dissociated um, via depersonalization. So my mind and my physical body were completely disconnected. And so um, I was actually... Okay, let me ask you a question Mm -hmm. on that. On that, did you journal your different parts? Do you know their names, um, what their ages were, no. who was doing what? Did did your therapist no, have you do that? Because he didn't feel that um, on the spectrum that it was um, that I completely um, split, um, but that um, my sense of interoception had been completely blocked. So, for example just my mind and my body completely separated. So um, I could even feel pain. Or if I felt a little okay. bit of pain, I couldn't tell you where it was. I couldn't okay. feel hunger. Or I couldn't I, feel fullness. Okay. So All right. Now, I had since you've been that through that journaling, okay, mm-hmm. has all those doors to those disassociative parts and stuff, has that all been opened up now? Yes. Yes. Okay. And that so your mind and your through, body are back together now. Yes. And that You're was one. done through okay. um, yoga and mindfulness and meditation. Um, okay. Let me stop you. And a lot, through a lot of breath work. And Let um, me stop you. What yeah. did the yoga breath work do for the memories? Did it unlock doors? Did it close doors? Did it refresh? How did because, see, people listen, and they don't know exactly maybe what you did in yoga or breath work so, and, how that, and how that brings, we'll say, healing after the poison is out, okay? The stories are told. Now you're on a recovery mode through yoga and mm-hmm. whatever else you did, right? Yeah. People need to know uh, how did that help you? What did That's it do so they can, yeah, okay. So Just you tell me you did breath work, you know, tells yeah. me nothing. So right. what did it so, do? So basically, um, when I, what I learned um, after releasing the stories, I was able to sense that my body had been so tense from holding it all in. Okay. And um, so by using the breath work and, and the stretching and the yoga and the mindfulness, um, I was able to um, relax 
my body from being so tense. This is decades. Okay, okay, all right. This is decades. This is 40 years of of tenseness. Okay. So your body was able to relax, okay. Relax, Mm mm-hmm. And even though I had to be able to name and write and bring forth the memories, and I could say what happened, I couldn't feel the emotion that would be appropriate, right? I was flat. I was emotionless until I started the yoga, the mindfulness, and the breathing. And my emotions um, finally, so what happened when when I did those, taking things to take care of myself, my my emotions finally came through. My emotions came through after the fact. I cried for the first time. I had emotions for the first okay. time, felt things for the first time. I was able, it was almost like they were had been deferred. I was finally, that those were all, all able then to be released, all the emotion that went with the memory. and Because I had never had emotions or allowed to when those things happened. So it's almost it happened in arrears, if that makes sense. It happened 40 years later. That was the time that was able to take place. All right. So being able to have your emotions sort of set free and for you to feel the full range of emotions, you had to get some kind of healing in your emotions. Okay, had to be healed, okay? See, a lot of times in, um, you know, people don't know what needs to be fixed. They need to go, well, my emotions, I couldn't feel anything. Okay, my body was, you know, sort of numb. And uh, that didn't appear to be a normal, healthy condition. And so you had to be able to unlock your body, sort of, and uh, bring some uh, something under control. Well, it was already under control, but sort of release something to be a part of healing. And I think if uh, child abuse adult victims can realize the emotions have to be healed, the control of the emotions coming out and bringing the dissociation that you set this over in a compartment has to be healed. Your body's got to have some work done with it and um, can help a lot of people because they don't know what's wrong with them. You know, they don't know. And a lot of times your therapist, they don't know where to start. You know, they they don't really have, um, so can you think of anything else that you did to bring in, we'll say one, besides the journaling, to take away the poison, okay, whatever was there blocking you? Um, I, did, I did a lot of hiking. Uh, we hiking? Have, uh, okay. National Park, so I did a lot of hiking um, and a lot of praying. Um, but, but you know, there's there's a way to actually, I believe, experience this kind of like meditative state when you're hiking out in the wilderness. Um, and that I was able to actually release a lot of emotion while I was on those hikes. Um, so hiking was and movement was a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. And then obviously um, the last thing is is really finding a group um, within NASCA of people that had understood 
I was met with compassion by so many members of NASCA when I came and told. Of course, I, I came on the show and told my story. Um, that was healing in and of itself, but I was met with a group of people who um, could understand um, and walked in some very similar shoes. I had never encountered that before. And so okay. having that, um, um, I think, compassion to shared experience and that understanding, um, I found a community and I didn't feel alone, um, and that helped as well immensely. Okay. And, you know, uh, adult survivors, even teenagers, you know, you, just, you need some psychotherapy. Well, for what? <laughs> you know, you need to some healing. For what? I'm fine. You know, whatever kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of times, you know, everybody talks about get healing however you can get it, but when you are an advocate, you must be clear about this was my journey. This stuff happened to me, okay? You and with some people, you can't talk about it because it's going to trigger them. And But then yeah. you've got to be able to say, yes, this happened. And I, when I realized I needed help, I had to, I, my emotions were messed up. My biological body was messed up. My memories were messed up. Uh, I had other uh, issues. And I started working area by area. And I know I needed to build new memories. Did you do things to build new memories? To replace? Um, Or how did you deal with your... uh, What kind of words do you say now about... What happened to you as a child? Well, I I consider everything from the past a different life, and I put it okay. behind me. And it's almost like I have mm-hmm. a new vocabulary, a new a new a new life. And I can see mm-hmm. I see myself living in two completely different worlds. So I call okay. it. Um, I actually have my own terminology of. BR and then AR, you know, before remembering or bringing forth the repressed memories and then after okay. remembering. And to me, it's All like right. a, a, a BC and AD. So to me, it's just a, you know, I, I don't live in fear. I live in hope. And I, you know, so I am um, always looking to the next, you know, um, um, what I can add on in life and, and, and okay. you know, bring um, – the healing into my own family unit um, of my husband and my children. And I, okay. I think what propels me is just keep seeing patterns changing um, and history being rewritten and taking a different course okay. um, based upon the goals yeah. that I have. I don't so, want the cycle to repeat. Okay. So that's, that's, I don't know if it's okay, vocabulary, so but it's changing more of your, Okay, so you changed your language. Yeah. Yes. Okay, and I have done that myself. Like if I talk about my childhood, I said in my other life, and not the one, not the person I am now. And I think that's real important too, even to say, um, you know, how you identify yourself. Okay, uh, is real important. And whether you say, I was. A, I was abused, but I'm here. Mm-hmm. I was a victim, but now I'm brand new. And in spirituality, in 
Christianity, at least, that we get some wonderful words. He says, hey, forget the past. I'm going to throw it all in the sea of forgetfulness. You forget it. I'm forgetting about it. Don't we bring it up to me again. It didn't exist. And I've had to, it took me a two-year period to transition from being what I was called Jan to Pastor Deborah. Two years. Mm-hmm. And God mm-hmm. had to take and he had to put where I would look at everything from a certain point backwards. That it, That's not me anymore. Uh, and I would get tested on it. I would hear thoughts like, why don't you go buy the house you grew up? I go, now, wait a minute. I'm Pastor Deborah now. I didn't grow up in that family. I didn't grow up in that house. I That's not my mother and father. I'm a new person in Christ. So if I personally go by there on my own will, I bring the old Jan back alive. And I have been tested with that over and over again. Because in spirituality work, the enemy of healing and hope and love is to keep you in bondage to those memories, those disassociation areas, those blockages, the numbness, keep you there and never get you healed. Never have your words say, I'm healed, okay? And... um that kind of thing. So I know what that means. You have to be very mindful about your words, what you say to yourself, what you say to other people, what you write in that process. I can remember years ago I had a, gotten a virus and it attacked my heart. I'm in the hospital. And I didn't, they're looking at a heart transplant. But I knew I had a long many years to go, and my choice was I could get up off of that bed of affliction and slowly walk down the hall of the hospital, hanging on to the rails, or I could stay in bed. I didn't want, and I got myself up, and with every step I took, I knew I was getting better and healed. And I think a lot of, uh, like you said, a lot of people are numb in their emotions and they don't know why or they don't know why they do what they do or why they're so angry or, you know, yell at people and stuff. And they may not have recovered, you know, the memories that something happened to them and um, that kind of thing. So I think you by telling people that you released, you're telling your story, you released uh uh, unlocked the doors to the numbness, started feeling again. You did exercises, walking, yoga, whatever, to help get the body under control and your mind and your thinking. See, a lot of people from abuse, they don't have that kind of sort of road that they can go on. Just go get therapy and talk about your problem. A lot of therapists, aren't, you know, they don't deal with your biological body. They may not tell you to, you know, quit drinking alcohol or maybe cut down on the sugar and go take a hike outside. They, that's just not their training. And um, if you go to 
private practitioners or primary care or something. Here, just take your antidepressant medication, you know, that should solve the problem. So I'm glad to hear that and um, that you tackled it from many different views, you know. So that's good. Has Annie gotten back on the line yet? Thank you. I'm here. Pardon Can me? you hear me? Yes. Okay, okay good. Um, let's see. I, I have a list of things that I did to heal myself. Shall I share some of that with you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I did supplements, and I don't know if they helped me or not, but my doctor told me to take certain supplements and um, okay. supposedly help my brain um, cope better. Okay. Do you understand what? Okay. reason is your brain, your biological brain, is made up of water and sodium and uh, chemical, electrical, you know, nerves and flesh and stuff. And there's, it can get damaged and trauma and things sort of got too much of something. So that's good, okay? So you're taking supplements. That's good. He's working from that level on your brain. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And what else do you do? I also take medicine as prescribed by a psychotherapist or okay. psychiatrist, I guess it is. Psychiatrist is uh-huh. uh-huh. that. Yeah. And I... I pretty sure that has helped me a great deal. Okay. The reason is the psychiatrist, his training is the biological brain and the nervous system. You know, he's a medical doctor. And they believe there's a proper balance to all of our chemical, electrical signals, uh, to our blood, you know, how everything. And when you take psychotropic medication, the psychiatrist saying is the chemical electrical balance that's in our brain, that the neurons are moving through, that everything is working through, is out of balance. You got too much of something, not enough of something else, something's misfiring. There's not enough potassium, not enough. You know, if you don't get enough water, you dehydrate and you can, you know, your brain has trouble. And so they know that there is a proper chemical electrical balance that the brain has to have in order to for all the parts of it and all of what it does to operate correctly and it's at its best and so that's why they give you the medication to get that brain's chemicals that it needs balanced out corrected and then they believe once you get there, because they're not, sometimes they know if we don't get that straightened out, everything else won't help because we still got some, uh, you know, chemicals in there or not enough. Uh, your hormones aren't balanced. You know, you've got too much of something, not enough of something else. we got things not running smoothly. So that's their belief is we can get that balance system you know it's like we all you know you gotta have so much water a day so much uh, carbohydrates because just to blink your eyes it takes energy so you need carbohydrates but your things are built the muscles with protein 
but your bones need calcium. So I had actually, I read a book, it was really wonderful. It's called The Three-Pound Universe. And it's nothing except about the brain. And that's where all the memories are stored, the all the uh, thoughts and ideas, you know. And we see when it starts getting even what they call damaged, we see the Alzheimer's or people start having memory problems, you know, and they their short-term memory is not very good, but their long-term memory is good. And so uh, I'm glad you did that. Okay, what else did you do, Miss Annie? Um, you know, one thing that I do today still a lot is aromatherapy. I find that when I light scents around my house, I feel happy. It makes me feel okay. happy. Okay. What you're doing is you're breathing in through your nose, right? Aroma. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it goes into your body, your nose, up into your brain. It's actually a drug changing your brain chemistry. And it's the same way if you uh, eat food. It's a drug. It changes the chemistry of your body. So the, and so you're from the outside, you are saying you're putting things into your system, just like they do cocaine, anything else. It gets in the bloodstream, gets to the brain, and whatever it does in there, uh, certain chemicals and endorphins and stuff get kicked on, and Annie feels happy. So works that's for me. That works for you, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things by watching these uh, Chinese historical dramas uh, is how traumatic many of these children's, you know, childhoods were. Sold into slavery, murder, you know, parents murdered, uh, just horrible violence, you know, all kinds of horrible stuff happened to them. And the results, as you saw, was anger and hate, jealousy and envy and uh, disassociation, multiple personalities, and uh, just a a multitude of, of, we'll call it fruit, that came out of that tree. And um, what it took was some loving people, real genuine, like what Penelope said, people filled with compassion and able to listen to their story and believe in them and love them and be friends with and that that seemed to make a difference and all that hurt and anger and stuff started dissipating like what um, Penelope said she released the toxins and the poison. Because when you get abused like most people have, the memories are horrible. They're so, uh, they're like a virus, a bacteria that just, you know, uh, won't go away. And um, believe it or not, the disassociation and locking and becoming numb is almost a protection. Because the for a child. It doesn't understand what's going on, all the chemicals being released in the brain, what is happening, the fear, the torment, the violations, 
it's a it's a form of protection for the child to just disassociate and you just the memories are locked away because it's a way to uh, them to live that kind of thing anybody else you got anybody else that wants to ask a question Well, I'm just curious as to um, which herbs were helpful in terms of aromatherapy. Uh, Annie would have to answer that because I don't do aromatherapy. I'd have to say my favorite are cinnamon and clove. Um, I think they smell homey. I also like peppermint a lot. That smells very happy to me. Mm. Put these in diffusers, or do you have candles, or how do you, you know? Um, I usually um, buy the concentrated oil, and I put it in a diffuser with the little candle mm-hmm. underneath it. Oh, great. And that's how I do. Mm-hmm. And then also you mentioned certain vitamins. Do you mind just, I mean, I know Pastor Deborah sort of, you know, expanded on that, but would you mind sharing some of the, do you, if you remember some of the vitamins that were recommended for you? Yes. um, The vitamin E that comes in fish oil, apparently studies have been done that show that it can um, reverse depression. If you get enough, I'm not sure how many milligrams it is. I guess you could look in the internet and you could find the study that they did. But I don't think it was a lot. I think it was like a 1,000 milligrams a day. And it, it takes care of your brain in a way that heals depression. And I'm not a scientist. I don't really know how. But that was one. Um, I take CoQ10 also for the brain. Isn't that amazing that... Through your experiences, you're discovering the biological things that we need to do to help our brain. And okay, and the brain is the place where the memories are stored, the emotions. Okay, we have our sight, our hearing, where we think. We have concepts. Our subconscious is in there. And uh, that's usually, Freud explained it this way. We have a consciousness that's directly connected to our biological body. And we have this unconscious, a subconscious, where we kind of think to ourselves. We have our own feelings, you know. You could sit there and you could have private thoughts and say something else with your words to somebody. That subconscious is there, okay, but yet there's a conscious part that, and so the psychiatrist is well aware. He's looking at it from a medical viewpoint. The brain's like an organ, a heart or something, and it can get damaged. It can get viruses, infections, bacteria. Uh, it can have, you know, blood leaks. It can have not enough water, not enough potassium or sodium. Uh, it is affected, as we know, when we smell food. The aromas go up from food into our brain, 
And, you know, it can change our appetites. It can release hormones. So the psychiatrist realizes there's a proper balance of everything that's supposed to be in the brain. How much water, blood, like you said, vitamins, and what's not, you know. And so they're looking at it that way. And then they know they can get that sort of balanced out chemical correctly, then the brain can do a lot of work easier. It can uh, store memories correctly or, you know, get rid of them. It can uh, bring a l- more control to the body, you know, and um, that kind of thing. So a lot of people don't realize that some people that have been abused might be vitamin deficient and they don't even get enough vitamin C or enough water, you know. And so their whole system, their body and even the brain chemistry is out of whack, you know. And if you throw any kind of thing like, say, diabetes, which is related to your sugar, so there is a combination of the biological body that is affected by trauma in childhood and um, and just what happens to the brain during these, you know, intense, abusive time, what's happening uh, in the brain and what kind of scars or damage happens, you know, to the small developing brain and um, that kind of thing. And some people study memories and they study how they're... Uh, you know, all of us, some of us, we get bits and pieces, you know, of our childhood. We don't remember, you know, the day we were born. And we don't remember our diaper days and a lot of stuff, you know. Uh, and some of us don't start really remembering our life till we're maybe two or three, you know. Just it doesn't stay. And um, times we need to know the areas like, what Penelope was saying, she worked on several areas, and um, that was very helpful to her. So what would be some other areas that you think uh, a, an adult survivor of a child of child abuse besides brain, uh, you know, the memories, the triggers, might need the emotions, I think. Penelope said her emotions were numb that need to bring be healed. Um, how about like OCD, you know, repetitive okay. thoughts? Okay. What do you think? All right. Repetitive thoughts. Okay. Why? It would, how can I, let's see. It would be like if you, um, the brain is like a machine, okay? It needs to, it's finely tuned. It has an optimal performance. It has, needs, like a car, it needs spark plugs. You know, it's got to have some energy. got to have the right balance of chemicals, things like that. And what happened with uh, obsessive thoughts is it's like something is stuck, okay? And they just can't. Get loose. How would you say if you had an 
if you had one, did you get healed from it? What did you do to break that control or that pattern? You know, one thing that helped me was saying a mantra so that the thought would go out of my head and the mantra would be in there instead. Okay, so you replaced a thought that was coming and irritating you with another thought. You did a replacement. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Anything else you can think of when those uh, words would come and they were kept coming and did you do anything else? Sometimes I talk about the the words I'm hearing with my friends and they say, well, don't listen to them because they're lying to you and that kind of thing. You know, if my if my words are telling me how bad I am, that kind of okay. who's okay. kind of words. Now, is that Annie? Those words yes, that sorry. you're hearing. Those words that you're hearing. Is that you talking to you? Who's talking? Yeah. Who's saying the words? Okay. Me. It's you. Me. That that subconscious you is talking, speaking to you. Is that correct? Because you're not really yeah. talking out, out of your mouth to another person, are you? No. No. So this is all internally going on. Okay? So yes. You ha- okay? And a lot of people, they're afraid if they say, I'm hearing this voice, <laughs> sounds like me. <laughs> And the therapist will look at you and go, okay, you got some, okay, we need some hair. People don't realize our subconscious is a person. It's the real you. Your five senses are connected to your brain. It is how that subconscious person can interact with the natural world, but there's a person in there, the subconscious. This is what Freud told us. You have thoughts, ideas, it gets traumatized, it's a person. It's stuck in childhood, doesn't grow up, it has the ability to create others, other voices, and that's what happens like you even hear about suicide people. They have these thoughts about just go ahead and kill yourself. You'll be better off and you know. And at the same time, is that them talking? Well that's Freud, okay. Now in psychiatry a lot of times they don't know where those voices are coming from. They don't know. They don't know if uh in some psychologists would go up. That's another part of you. That's your disassociative part of you. That's your guilt or something like that. So you had to learn not to listen to whatever you were thinking or or what you were hearing and replace it with other words, right? Yeah. Now, Mm -hmm. do you have to do that as often now as you used to? No. 
Okay. No, I don't. Uh, I don't hear that those awful things about myself all the all the time like I used to. It's actually okay. pretty rare now. Okay. Do you know how long it took you to keep uh, not listening to those voices? Oh. Well, I have been working on it actively on being a survivor um, for 17 years. Okay. Um, so somewhere in that time. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where. Okay. Well, what ha- this is just one of, a lot of people believe it. They have those voices also. Okay. And they need to know, like, what you did. You've got to counteract them, and you have to speak different words. So you had a – what did you say to yourself? What was the mantra that you used? Did you have several of them? I have one, and it's this – and I read it somewhere. I didn't make it up, but I don't know who it belongs to. But this is it. I am good. I am happy. I am free from pain. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to take you into the uh, into the Bible. In Proverbs, Solomon tells us, "As you think in your heart, that means as you listen inside, so you are." Okay. So if you listen to those words. Okay, even if you were saying them, you're thinking them, okay? And you don't counteract them with something else, then that's what you are, whatever you're hearing. But you said, uh-uh, no, no, no. I am going to be something else. I'm going to change what I'm hearing, what I'm thinking. Therefore, when I change it, I am this new thing not what I'm hearing. And a lot of people don't understand that. I think we used to, oh, I don't know, when we would get in trouble years ago, our teachers would say, I want you to write this sentence down a hundred times or something, you know, Mm -hmm. trying trying to do repetition with us, get us to think on something else, constantly change it. When I went through my two year transition, and even now, I'll have thoughts. I'm in my bed. And I will feel depressed, angry, some. You know, the world is a mess out there. And my soul will just be in a mess. And my spirit now, because I'm a pastor, will speak internally to my soul, my soul and say, uh-uh, you aren't going to sit there and have a pity party. You aren't going to sit there and think that and feel that and mope and grope about that stuff. You're, you, soul, are coming with me, spirit. We're going to go into the presence of God. We're going into his word. Or he says, you know, something, something, something. We're going to go think on that. We're going to believe on that. We're going to put those words before you. You're not going to sit there. And I got that from King David. David, there was some day, uh, his family was trying to kill him, you know, take over the throne. It was a mess. And his soul, that's that conscious, subconscious part of us, 
got very downcast, depressed. Everybody's trying to kill him, chase him, kill. And he said, oh, and here's what he said. He said, oh, my soul, why are you so downcast today? Let's go up to the mountain of God. This was his spirit talking to his soul, saying, we ain't going to sit here in this mess. I understand why you're depressed. They're trying to kill you. Okay, the family's a mess, but we ain't going to sit here in this stuff. We, together, you and I, are going to go up in our thoughts, in our prayers, whatever, into the presence of God. He had to do that internal work with himself. I saw that years ago, and I have to, there's some days, what's going on in the world and everything, it's just not nice. And you do get angry and you get upset and that thing. And you can't let yourself, your soul, be in control and sit in that. That's what you were saying. You spoke different words to yourself. And then did those words that were negative slowly end in your life? They're not completely gone. As I said, I got hit with some today pretty hard. But then I was able to share that with a friend, and she reminded me that none of those things I said were true. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that I felt a lot better. But in general, I don't get that. Um, You know, not even every day. I would say a week could go by, and I wouldn't get any of that negative Mm -hmm. self-talk that I used to. Mm -hmm. And since... You know, um, even in therapy, when you're told, the therapist says, we need to think of some new self-talk, okay? Positive affirmations, meditations, you know. You need to have some words that when you start feeling this way, no, you know, and, and you counteract what what you're thinking or feeling with something else. And that's a battle. That is warfare inside. Now, a lot of therapists, you know, they, um, they're more listeners. They want to, you know, listen to what you have to say and try to help you figure it out, and that's good, too. But a lot of them don't give you a lot of strategies because you, you spend most of your time away from the therapist. And so what you did, Annie, is excellent because you are working on the inside of you and you are doing what we would call spiritual warfare, you are battling the thoughts that are trying to control your life, but they are, you know, in your subconscious. And so that part of you that got hurt, victimized, is wanting to stay in control, and it's wanting to beat you up and, you know, continue the abuse and the torment, and you started stopping that by having that mantra and that's a good thing to do so i hope other people start doing that also anybody want to talk you're quite welcome i i can tell you i once i saw that king david had to do that with himself and his soul because you know since i believe our spirit and our soul are two different people two different things The spirit is supposed to be getting all of its information from God, who it is, what God says about itself and that, then pass that along to its helpmate, the soul. 
And the soul then supposed to get transformed into what it was supposed to always be, a helper to the spirit out in the natural world. Because the soul is connected to the biological body. The spirit isn't. So what happens is that system gets all messed up in abuse. The soul is the king, sort of. And its feelings, its thoughts, everything rules the roost and through the physical body. And so then those two cause the little spirit to kind of sink down and, you know, you just take whatever you get. So that's wonderful. That was a good thing. Can you think of anything else either one of you have done uh, to help, say, in an area to bring healing that works? Well, this is Penelope, along the lines of what Annie had shared. The part of the healing process was to recognize that I had learned um, through what was considered, you know, normal. This was a pattern in the family of origin. Um, a lot of um, negative self-talk and not um, – I didn't even know what the concept of self-love was, Um there was constant self-denigration um, displayed in the home. And so part of um, the process um, of when I went through really the healing process was also to realize coming aware, you know, as Annie had mentioned, you know, of just how often I was really self-abusing myself by the things that I said to myself, the things that I called myself. And, and so becoming aware of that um, and realizing um, that I could actually – you know, with the transformation of going from, you know, being someone who was abused in the past to being, you know, a different person um, who had changed the pattern in the future was also to change the pattern of my internal thinking about myself. And I mm-hmm. had to teach myself right. to love myself and to change That's that correct. vocabulary. That's correct. And if, and from a pastor's side, the inside you that needed to change, you know, your thoughts and stuff, that knowledge, those words, that love comes from God to the spirit. And the spirit Mm -hmm. tells the soul, we are loved by God. You are valuable. He loves you. That old you, it's gone away. It's been thrown away into the sea of forgetfulness. Don't you think on that anymore. Come on. Come on. We're going into his presence. And the spirit then becomes the instigator, the leader, the guide of the healing releases all the goodness and the healing and the mercy and everything it has received from God, from the word, to the soul. And when the spirit gets enough of that good stuff from God, okay, it just overflows. And then the soul, as you read in the Bible, the the soul must be transformed. That means whatever it is, the condition, we must transform it. Because it's hurt, it's wounded, it's broken, it's frightened, it's numb, it's not trusting, it's got all kinds of bad things growing in it, viruses and, you know, all kinds of ick. And it really cannot heal itself. The biological body can't do anything except take in what? Air and water and food. Okay? That's about it. And respond to plant, 
pain or pleasure. But the body is the outlet that the soul uses and needs to counter, to contact the natural world. And the soul and the body are one. So when the soul wants to feel pleasurable, it will seek sex, food, aromatherapy, uh, soft touch, maybe music. Then the soul is taken care of. So what happens is when I got into spirituality and pastoring, I worked with the spirit part. And I had to love the spirit with God's love. Then I would have to to their own soul. And I had this one precious lady that I worked with named Amanda. Her physical body got out of the car and went to a 7-Eleven. But her spirit came back to me and said, if she keeps doing that other part of her, her subconscious and her body, keep doing what she's doing, drugs, alcohol, sex, homelessness, we're going to die, aren't we? This was her spirit. I go, yes, you are. You know, she was, it was not a good life. And she says, what do I do? This is the spirit talking to me. I said, honey, you, the spirit, have got to speak up to yourself, that other part of you. She's going to do that anymore. And some people would say, I just had a conscious moment. A thought just came to me. I just remembered. Something woke me up in the middle of the night to, you know, leave or something. That's usually the spirit getting words to the soul. And I said, honey, you're going to have to talk to yourself. That other part of you? And her spirit said to me, if I tell her to stop doing what she's doing, I, the spirit, will get in trouble. Now, can you imagine here I am trying to help somebody that, I got three parts working, and but the spirit has to get strong, and it must do like King David. Uh, uh-uh, uh, we ain't gonna think that. That's not who you are anymore. We're not gonna live in that muck. We're coming out of that. Yeah, I know it was bad. I know it was bad, but we're gonna think on this now. Okay, we are loved now by God. We have a husband and so we're needed. He doesn't treat me. We're going to think on that. So there is a deep inner work that on, and if it stay, that's the proper sort of um, system. In therapy, they're just working with the soul, but it can get a lot of healing, and um, it can get a lot of direction, relief, and then like even uh, Annie said, you feel like, hey, i got to have some correct supplements and vitamins and nourishment. Maybe I need to drink another bottle of water, you know, not getting enough water or something like that. And uh, so I wanted to just bring up that healing is real important. It is there. To me, if we can heal cancer, right, we can get people to the moon and back, we should be able, with all these bright people, bring healing to people who've been abused emotionally and sexually and physically. It can't, It just can't be that difficult. What do you think? I agree. It's possible. 
it's possible, but it is it is work. I I think it needs yes. to be it's work, but it's it's worthwhile work. Mhm. Well, like like I said, if you had cancer, it's a lot of work getting healed. Oh my goodness, some of it you lose your hair, get dialysis. You know, it, it's a lot of work getting that cancer killed inside your physical body. And so, and I and I. And I I don't think, not the mental health world, but just society as a whole, they don't look at mental health issues or sexual abuse issues. You can't see it like you can see, you know, cancer with an x-ray. And it's a topic that a lot of people don't, you know, just straighten up, think right, you know. And um, they, it's a topic... If you talk to a child development special, he'll tell you it will mess up a child and development and the brain and everything else when it happens at that age. And then you expect them to go into school and learn how to read and write and do math, and it ain't going to happen. Okay? It's just not going to happen. So it's you only got about nine minutes left, and I will be quiet, and you guys can close it up. Well, thank you, Pastor Deborah. It's just been a great show, and and thank you so much for, um, you know, uh, developing a topic tonight um, that is very, very, so very important um, to our mission statement and to our own personal uh, recovery um, path, and um, for not only Annie and myself, but for just for so many. Um, of the topics that have been brought up and experienced brought up by our, you know, NASA family members and those who listen to the to the shows live and to the archives. So, you know, I just wish to thank you because shows like these that really serve as um, healing tools um, and uh, and information and a resource for those um, who are um, in different phases of their recovery. So, I just your expertise and your passion and your experience um, and your counsel. Um, thank you so much for all that you contribute um, during the shows into NASCA as a, as a NASCA family member. So I really want to thank you um, for what you bring um, as a survivor professional to these, um, to these shows. And I also wish to thank Annie because I really, really enjoy um, doing the shows with Annie and she always, um, bring so much um, of her own experience um, and willingness to share. And I've learned so much from, from Annie as well. And I really want to um, express my gratitude for my for my co-host, Annie, and, and just say thank you. I want to wish to thank, thank you um, all. Oh, you're welcome. I wish to thank everybody else I'm involved with NASCA. There's so much involved that our, our um, NASCA board, and most specifically, um, Bill Murray, the founder and president of NASCA, does um, as a show's producer to facilitate having five shows on um, a week. Um, they are Monday through Friday at um, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, we have a special guest who comes to tell their story, um, um, which is a great, as we discussed tonight, healing um, modality to share your um, experience um, with um, in a platform where you are um, accepted and greeted by fellow NASCA family members who 
have compassion and can understand. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have uh, the Survivor Professional Nights, which is the mic forum. There's so much work that goes into procuring guests and Survivor Professionals for these shows and also scheduling us, the hosts. So um, if you wish to volunteer with NASCA, wish to know anything else in general about NASCA and NASCA's offerings, um, even just the current show schedule and other uh, group recovery meetings we have every week, please go on to our website, which is www.nasca, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot O-R-G. And there's so much information on our website. It is, ba- it is a one-stop shop for anyone anywhere in the world who wants to know what's going on in terms of um, advocacy um, events for uh, child abuse, trauma, um, intervention, prevention, recovery, as well as uh, ambassadors for each area of the world. Um, NASCA is a global organization, uh, as well as uh, any information. Um, There are articles, there are books, that uh, uh, all different types of books that have been uh, self-published by some of our NASCA family members, or they are also tools that are used to help in uh, serving um, as different modalities for healing. So there are so many different resources on the NASCA website that we encourage and urge you to go on and take some time and look around at the website. Also, you will find our uh, uh, board, uh, the NASCA board of directors, as well as there are contacts, so you are never alone. We have NASCA family members who are willing and have given out their personal information. So if you need to talk to someone at any time, there are people to contact um, and to reach out to. Um, you are never alone um, where, wherever you are in your healing journey. So I encourage you, again, to go on the NASCA website. And lastly, we are a fully nonprofit 501c3 organization. We rely on the donations of our uh, members. So no amount is too small, even a few dollars help. Um, on the NASCA website, there is a PayPal link at the very bottom of the home page of the front uh, page of the website where you can uh, donate uh, via PayPal to NASCA, and we appreciate um, every single donation that we receive. So um, we thank you for your continued support to NASCA. Uh, again, I wish to thank uh Pastor Deborah Schleich, who has been a long time a NASCA family member, um, we appreciate her um, contribution to NASCA and on these shows and look forward to many, many more with her in the future. And uh, I wish to thank my co-host, Annie. I'd like to let you know that this is uh, NASCA scan number 3082. So within 30 minutes, the show will be archived and on our website. And you can just look up scan number 3082 under current schedule under tonight's date. And the show will have been recorded and the archive uh, ready for um, uh, listening. So that is another offering of NASCA. We have um, uh, done over almost 4,000 or 4,000 shows to date. Um, most are archived and have used as learning uh, uh learning and uh, recovery tools. So uh, please uh, go and, and uh, take a listen. There are many, many, many to choose from, obviously. 
So with that, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in this evening. I wish to um, please, as I always like to sign off, um, I wish to ask. Um, we are all adults and we are all um, responsible citizens of this world. Um, and as adults, um, we have collectively enough eyes and ears keep every single child on this planet safe. So if you see something, if you hear something, please say something. Do, you know, it is our moral responsibility to do so. So with that, I thank you, and I, I remind you to tune in tomorrow night for special guest night. Um, it is 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. The number is 646. 646- Five nine five two one one eight. That is the same number for all of our NASCA uh, Stop Child Abuse Now talk uh, radio shows. So please, every night, Monday through Friday, eight o'clock Eastern Standard Time, six four six five nine five two one one eight. I wish to thank you and wish you all a very good night. Talk Radio.